My name is Scott Chaloner and you are listening to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. Now, as regular listeners of this programme will know, part of our mission here at the Leaders' Council is to bring you a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. And to this end, we're joined on today's programme by Mashuda Kazi, an executive leader who has been working within the NHS for over seven years. Um, Mashuda, very warm welcome to yourself. And by all means, thank you for joining is on the show. Thank you very much, Scott. Thank you for having me. It's an immense pleasure. And uh, Mashuda, just for those listeners tuning in that might not be familiar with her, has worked at a number of NHS organisations over the years, ranging from commissioning to acute mental health and also the voluntary sectors as well. So a lot of experience, I think it's fair to say, on the leadership side of things within the health service, Mashuda. So to start with, in your view, what would you say leadership is in your own words? I think we're going to talk about like my view of leadership rather than the, uh, you know, what's the definition of leadership that's out there. I think for me, leadership is not just a kind of, um, um, what do you call it, a, a situation bound. Mm. Um, and, you know, leadership is basically what the situations required and how do you align yourself with that of the situation. And it all just depends on how do you tackle that sort of situations and that sort of like a dilemma that you have right in front of you. For me, when mm. I talk about leadership, it's about an individual's collaboration. And, you know, it's in the name, isn't it? That it's about the collective term. And it is the power that's basically a collective, it's part of the collective team. And it's not about the authority of power that's kind of, you know, um, the, the traditionally that we would look at like authoritative or kind of a very diplomatic style. But it's about who is it's not about like who is better than who but it's it's also not about competition it's about pacing everyone at the same time mm-hmm. and how do you basically lead them together for a collective purpose a collective aim and also i don't see leadership is um it's not about who reports to who and uh, it's about others it's about how you facilitate as a leader in terms of making themselves available being approachable having that kind of a collaborative open door policy and mm. i know when you ask me what is in my view is the leadership what i haven't talked about is what is leadership rather than talked about what is not so much that doesn't define the leadership and i think for me if i were if you were to ask me what is leadership i will always define what's not leadership and um, mm. this is how this is how i view as a leadership it's about collaboration it's about a process of that social influence. It's about that networking where you work, where you pull the system partner together, where you where you kind of pull together the stakeholder, internal and external, and how you reach that goal by having that communication, having that leadership, being able to be adaptable and being flexible. And, you know, you work towards that goal. And I think, in my view, this is what the leadership is. And mm. I very much kind of, you know, come away from the definition of leadership. Rather, I like to explain what the leadership is. And leadership very much kind of, you know, is defined by how the leader executes themselves in a situation. So, you know, mm. how is it that the front level that you stay as an individual and how do you influence, how do you command in a very softer term to the people that, that is following you, people who look up to you and how you coach and mentor them. And I think this is what, in my view, leadership is really. Yeah, of course. And just sort of um, moving on from that, um, 
what do you think sort of the typical traits of kind of good and bad leadership are? We've talked about sort of what leadership isn't in a good sense. It's less about the collaborative and more about that command and control that we need to move away from. So what are some of the typical traits of that more sort of toxic leadership that you would say? I think toxic leadership is, in my view, is leaders not being able to adapt and be flexible towards the situations and the people they're working with. I always believe leaders, leadership and the leader should be able to flex themselves to the people that they're working with. Not that you expect others to work around you. It's also being able to have that in a kind of, you know, I come from very kind of, you know, just NHS organizations and that is my experiences and I've got passion for healthcare industries mm. and the sectors. And you need, a leader needs to be leadership, a leader needs to be, um, you know, be more sensitive to what people need because you're working in healthcare sector and sensitivity, that understanding of what others require is really important. And nowadays in this world, we are ever so diverse in about workforce. So we, we need to be able to have that emotional intelligence and that cultural awareness of how if you say one thing in one tone, how would it work out to the other culture? How will they see this as being a passive aggressive, being aggressive, very much upfront, and other culture may not see that as the same kind of tone, being very aggressive. So, you know, the toxic leadership then adds to the toxic culture. And the culture is when you think as a leader that's acceptable, that means that others around you and underneath you that who follows you and look up to you would also feel that that's the norm. And before you know it, then that becomes the identity of an organization. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And uh, leadership culture, I'm glad you mentioned that because that is something I do want to touch on um, in just a moment, actually. But before we uh, look at that in a little bit more detail, um, I just want to look at sort of the importance of uh, leadership and particularly good leadership. Uh, Why is it crucial uh, from your perspective? I mean, in any walk of life, let alone the health service. I think leadership is like important in all of the sectors, but then I've picked up only the healthcare sectors because I mm-hmm. think I'm kind of, you know, very much into it and I have passion to deliver that leadership and, the, you know, like talk more about the healthcare sector leadership in particular. But you obviously asked me questions on the importance of leadership, regardless of whichever sector. I think leadership in general is to um, maximize the efficiency, isn't it? To achieve that one goal, the corporate goal and the strategy that we call it. And uh, there are obviously a few points to justify that. And one is to initiate the action. But the leader is a one person as a leader, as an individual who communicate, who needs to be able to communicate openly and should be and must be transparent to the team that the individual basically leads to where the work starts, where the actual work starts. And the leader, when they talk about any of the aim, any of the goal, and how they're going to get there, it needs to be very transparent. It needs to say where the challenges are and how is it that the skill set of the in, of that individual leading that team, you utilize that, that the talent and how do you utilize that, the pool of that talent and the resources that have, that initiate actions is so important and the leadership needs to recognize where, how, and what to start. And the motivation mm-hmm. of the group that they actually, the individual is following, so they should play I call it an incentive role that motivates the employee or the team with the economic and the non-economic reward. But in our leadership nowadays, we call it a transactional and the um, uh, and the you know um, transactional uh, leadership and the other leadership that basically develops on the skill set and the pool. And 
the leaders need to provide guidance. Like I said first, leaders should need, leaders should come away from the command and control. Rather, they should provide guidance to it. And it is not their job to dictate, but to provide guidance so that the team that they are working to, the team that who is working underneath that leader, will can over, can provide that leadership which is effective and which is also efficient. That then obviously will create, in my view, the confidence within the team that the leader is leading them through any of the task and any of the ask. And uh, when they create that confidence that needs to come through, explaining that team clearly the role, the expectation, and the leadership is there to provide the support and not to command to support the team that would want to, that would have had to achieve that certain goals and that aim. And it's very, very vital. It's very, very important, I believe, to keep the culture open, to listen to everyone's views. For example, listen to kind of compliments, comments, feedback, concern, however critical that is. Mm. And the leaders need to be able to take on view if that, if that relationship with that particular group is not working that effectively. Leader needs to be able to turn around with that psychological safety saying, what it is that I am working really well with you? What is it that I need to change to help you achieve your goal? And leader needs to be able to openly ask that question and not see that as I'm the leader, I know exactly what I'm doing, and they will follow what I ask them to follow. If you keep that transparent and psychological safety, you will be able to, I believe, build that work environment when which is open door policy, which is approachable, the team and the people who the leader is following, a leader is, you know, the, the leading them through, will be able to open up to the new innovative ways of working. They, they will be more open to coming to that leader and say, this is not working right. However, we've got innovative, another ways of working, and they should be able to open up and communicate. So that makes that relationship and the work environment, which is sound and stable, so human relations factor are so important when you are in talking about the importance of leadership. Mm. It absolutely is. We talk about the importance of, you know, a positive leadership culture, but of course that is a very broad term, isn't it? It can be quite difficult to define. So when we talk about leadership culture, what would you say, Mishuda, that a leadership culture actually is? How would you define that term? I think leadership culture, we need to start, we need to go back a step and we need to think, okay, what is the culture? What is organizational culture? And then you build up on that kind of a leadership culture and, you know, what you think is leadership versus culture or what you think is leadership culture versus the organizational culture. So I think what is important to know what is the general organizational culture. So I think I have sort of alluded to it that just like, you know, we all have our personality, our own identity, organizations have that too. And the culture is basically the collection of the organization's value, the practices, the expectations, and is basically the collections of the traits which the organizations think or have adopted to, which is a normal way of their working. Whether it's good or bad, that's like another debate, but obviously it's norm for them to work in a certain way, and that's everyone has seen from the top to bottom hierarchical governance. Um, the key to develop, I believe, the positive attitude and aptitude towards that successful service delivery business is to go back and see the leadership versus that the culture of that organization. 
So the question to your answer is, the leadership culture, I believe, is the way that things are done, but it's also the way people interact. Um, they sort of make their decisions in the normal business as usual, sort of uh, working in the day in, day out work, and how it basically influences others. So leaders, their own self-awareness, and that, you know, that involuntary, that unconscious behavior, that belief system drives those decisions without them knowing. And the repeated behavior then becomes that leadership practices. Now, it's, if it's coming from a leader and if the organizations or the flow staff sees that as a norm, they will then pick that up. Now, if it's coming from the leadership or the leaders, I call it a leadership culture. Mm-hmm. And um, then when it becomes a norm, that, that it becomes a pattern of that leadership culture where the leadership leaders basically needs to understand that responsibility in creating and changing that normal behavior to meet the demand of that sector that you're going towards. Now, it's ever so changing, especially in this COVID pandemic time and after mm. that. And, you know, I always ask, the leadership culture on its own and defining it, it's not going to make any difference. It's just for us knowing, okay, it's a normal practice, normal kind of, you know, repeated behavior that the organizations have adopted and this is the trait and this is what we're going to do moving forward and this is what the organization um, in the external reputation, this is what it shows. But I always believe that if you want to know what the leadership culture is, you need to able to know how to cultivate and how to decode that. Mm. And for me, I believe that there is a one way to decode that leadership culture is to assess how leaders go about sharing that direction, that alignment, and that commitment. It's like a DAC sort of approach. And it's important to retain what makes your company unique. That's your values. But it's also important how the DAC approach varies depending on the culture that you're in. So DAC, I just picked up one. So I'll just explain a little bit about DAC and how I believe that it decodes. So it's basically an assessment that decodes the leadership culture and that helps you basically to assess your direction of the company, your alignment of the company, and your commitment towards what you're working towards. All DAC really is in term and in a nutshell is how do you influence? Is the decisions are shared? Are they explored being together as a team? Or is mm. it just coming down from top down below, just one alone kind of, you know, a one decision? And, uh, you know, where is the agreement? If everyone agrees to it, everyone have a buy-in together. And if everyone have a buy-in, how do we share the accountability? So that's basically what the leadership culture, in my view, is. And this is how you decode. Mm, that's how you make it inclusive, isn't it? And you make sure that, you know, it's not just a top-down order, as it were. Everybody is involved in sort of the setting of that. I think that's very important. And Obviously, you're working in the healthcare sector, uh, Mashuda, which is undergoing a real leadership shakeup within the NHS um, at this point in time. So in the context of that, why do you think at this point in time, especially that leadership, especially good leadership, is going to be so, so mm. crucial for the healthcare sector? I think great leaders are essential in every sector. I always say this and, you know, everyone knows this. Mm. And uh, healthcare sector is literally no different, especially now that there is a shakeup in the NHS and, you know, there is a lot of um, the media coverage on it regarding the, you know, inequalities that we had during the pandemic that really brought 
the leadership issue on the surface of the NHS sector, also that we have ever so growing waiting lists, patients complain, patients experiences, staff moral, and you know, every, everything is really very much kind of on the surface. And there is a lot to be done when it comes to the NHS sector and the healthcare sector. And this is why leadership is so crucial, especially at this time, in this pandemic time, through the pandemic and moving forward as well. Now the NHS is changing into, you know, integrated care system coming in, already come in. And mm. um, we have a new way of working in NHS. And we literally realize that, you know, when I'm working in it, I wouldn't realize as much that, you know, it's a new NHS now, but it is a really new NHS. And I think there is a need for the shift in what the leadership is within the healthcare sector. And I think it's about time that we start working on that leadership psychology and not being dismissive towards it. And... Um, the, the most effective way that organizations, especially in the healthcare sector, improve and grow is to focus on developing the leaders. And obviously, like I said, there is no difference to any other sector, but right now, NHS is, is ever so important and it's vital now. And the working relationship in healthcare sector from executive to the frontline staff, to the floor working staff is crucial now. So that make it as a collaborative approach to delivering healthcare, healthcare service delivery. And that ensures that there is a high quality services deliver and that helps organizations to thrive and to grow and not to go back literally like 10 years in the past, but to come away from today onward to the 10 years in future. And the, the, the leadership is also important and is responsible for people within the health and well-being of the um, uh, within the healthcare sector. So their health and well-being is ever so important, especially now that you're coming away from pandemic again and the shakeup of the new leadership. And if the healthcare organizations or if the leadership of that health organization fails to provide the sufficient level of health and well-being to staff, it will fail simply to provide a good service delivery to patients. And Absolutely. that's because, mm. and and that's because that the employee, in terms of that physical and mental well-being, they will not be able to continue. And we have seen the challenges in terms of the staff well-being during the pandemic. And there is no kind of nothing. It's not a new, no news to us. It's it's there for everyone to see. And you know how that do we need to make sure that the other employee and the frontline staff, especially, looks up, like I said, to the executive in terms of support and in terms of how well they will be listened to when they are unwell. Currently that we see in media that the staff sickness level have shot up really. And that's because that the NHS in my view, we have failed to provide that employee well-being as a holistic approach to a frontline staff. And they have no choice but to go because there was a lot of ask from them, especially the nursing team and medical team. We have a lot of ask. And I believe that the um, healthcare sector are responsible and they need to be responsible for ensuring that our services are safe and they are consistent of delivering the high quality that, you know, that we tend to make a crucial decisions on the health and well-being of patients. So if the leaders are not equipped with the knowledge and skills that they require to make such decisions, we won't just have a problem with that, but then we will also have a more complaint and the low patient experiences from, this, from the patient's experience point of view. Mm -hmm. 
and the leaders need to be trusted by the employee to make that workforce more more emerging towards listening, more emerging towards that giving the psychological safety, giving that a platform where they are able to speak up and they are listened and the actions are done and the loop for that information goes back to the person who have raised concern, for example, to say, you said this sort of concern we have done in response to that and what is the actions that leaders took? And this is really, really vital now to boost the organization's success and reputation. So that's directly related to the quality of the services, quality of the leaders, quality of the leadership from the top down to the front floor. It is, absolutely. We, we hear a lot from the NHS and the healthcare sector in general, don't we, about the fact that there are workforce issues, there's high absenteeism, there's high turnover. And I mm. think it's, it's not just because of the pandemic and it's not just because of thin resources, is it? It's down to leadership as well, because a lot of leadership within the health service can come across almost as a bit draconian can't it because it's constantly targets Mm. targets targets and if you do not meet your targets as an employee you're almost you you feel like you're being penalized for that you feel like you're being punished for it and I think that mentality that approach is not helping with the well-being side of things so it's only making the problem worse it's shooting yourself in the foot isn't it no I agree and uh, and it just has become all about target target and target you have to meet your target and if you're not meeting your target you better have like you know the one, two, three, four, five, however many action steps taken. So, you know, you constantly have to, have to defend yourself in NHS, in healthcare sector. And I always feel that in NHS, it's always about target and much less focus on the employee relations and much less focus on the culture. Yes, it's there. There is a work getting towards that kind of, you know, uh, improving culture. But right now, I feel it's, it's very much kind of on paper. And it's not very much sort of like embedded as a best practice implementation. When uh, I did allude towards more about the psychological safety and giving mm. an employee a platform to talk, but there is constantly talk about I'm being threatened. Something will happen to me. I will be very much kind of a manhandled. I will be handled in a very formal route. But we don't talk about the resolution in a more informal route. Mm. We always talk about the resolution in a very, very heavy-handed formal route. And because of that, what, what is happening is that the, the, the staff experiences in terms of the moral, it's dipping low and low day by day. And the leaders at the very top end, very much I feel that they are cut off because they talk about the finance, they talk about, the, you know, what we need to do in terms of organizations. It's about, the, as much as I understand, leadership is about creating the reputation in externally but it's also making sure leadership, they're also focused on the internal side of what the staff really feels. And I feel that other leaders nowadays have lost that connection from the employee to them. And there is definitely something that's missing and we need to work on that a lot more. And there is a lot more focus that's needed to build that working relationship again, build that confidence again. Exactly right, because without that connection there with those on the ground, with the sharp anything, staff morale is only going to get worse, and psychologically that's going to have a terrible scarring impact on the NHS workforce, so it's hugely important to address that. And um, something else you've talked um, quite a lot about as well, Mashuda, as well, if we sort of like 
maybe sort of look at the leveling up agenda a little bit. That talks a lot about sort of the even distribution of opportunity. Now, we've seen in the COVID-19 pandemic that there isn't necessarily a great deal of that. And I think the same applies for the health service. There is a need there, isn't there? for greater opportunities for those on the ground, particularly those from disadvantaged backgrounds as well, to be able to progress into leadership positions because they've got the on the ground experience that they obviously can relate to the top end. However, the opportunities aren't there, the pathways aren't there for these people to, you know, progress into leadership roles. And I think that more natural progression that also is something that the NHS needs to look at. That needs to be there as well, doesn't it? A route into leadership. I agree, and they, uh, there is definitely an uneven career opportunities there. Um, I think in my view, I may say this, I, I want to say this in a very diplomatic way, but I just want to say this, that you know, NHS has become, healthcare sector in particular, have become now a who you know rather than you know what you know. Mm. Skills and expertise and that talent pool needs to be observed, needs to be scrutinized, and you know, we, we need to work towards that a little more. I personally feel that in the COVID time, in the COVID pandemic time, what we have basically focused very much on a day in, day out service delivery. We haven't talked much about how do we progress our workforce? How do we best make sure that the our distribution in terms of our training budget is distributed among the more disadvantaged um, um, staff groups? I think, again, I go back, if all of these aspects, uh, Scott, that what you talked about, the training opportunity, career progressions, um, and, you know, the leadership, it all boils down to the leadership equals psychological safety of the employee. If the employee has a little psychological safety to be able to talk to a leader of their challenges, of their compliments, of their concern, the leadership will automatically improve because the leader will be more in touch with the employee feels and what they want in terms of their own career advance, uh, career progression, that training development, as well as what they really think where the organization needs to go. Yes, there is an aspect of the staff consultations within the healthcare sector, it exists, but at what point, the staff, in, in, in all fairness, I, I as a very senior manager myself, when I go out and I say, well, why don't we sit down and let's look through this um, uh, um, opportunity together? They will be like, well, what's the point? It's not going to get through, is it? So it's like they will see me as a capable individual who will go to them because my leadership is open door, approachable kind of leadership. You know, come to me, talk about everything, and mm. we will work through it. That's my leadership. But then they see me as, okay, yeah, you're helping us to achieve this. You come to us. You're making us talk. But then you have to then teach it to the board level, isn't it? Mm. So how is it that they are going to receive this? But it's a waste of our time and waste of your time. This is what I've heard staff very clearly say. And I understand that even though they are not even at the board level, they won't, they won't even know, you know, what really happens at the board level. But they already know. Because if they've stated one too many times one aspect of that challenge, and if it doesn't, that information doesn't come down back to them, with what actions we've taken from leaders' point of view, then they would lose interest. They would lose, con- they would lo- they would lose confidence. And I don't blame them. No, absolutely. So when it comes to sort of the uh, the shake-up that's going on in the NHS following the, uh, the landmark review as well, something that we have uh, sort of talked about in the past as well, um, I think mm. the, there needs to be a real regime of accountability there, doesn't there? Because there needs to be at every single level of leadership within the health service, a little bit more kind of cultural awareness, because um, there is 
there are poor behaviours and practices. There's a lot of ignorance, isn't there, as well? And nothing is going to change unless that mentality changes. It is going to take an entire change of culture, an entire change of approach, and there needs to be accountability as well, where some of these, you know, sort of poor and dismissive practices are continuing to persist. That is something that also needs to be implemented, isn't it? I think it's um, in, in the healthcare sector, if exactly what you said, Scott, you know, the terms is about if I can't have this, you can't have this. If I'm going down, I'll take you with me. It's very much of a blame, blame sharing. And, uh, mm. you know, that this is why the accountability of that there it needs to be there. Accountability, when I say if you've done something wrong and if you had oversight on, on any of the actions, I'm that sort of person, I'll put my hands up and say, yeah, I've done this wrong. I had my oversight. Let me correct it. But for others, it's like, if they see you as um, uh, if they see you as somebody doesn't click with the group, doesn't fit in a group, that means you are an outsider. So regardless of if that group done something in particular wrong, they will still blame at you. They will still blame you. They will still point at you, and they will say, "Well, it was you who done it wrong." Because I know for a fact, for me, I've had to save myself on one too many occasions. Because I don't do that, I don't do that certain task yet. It was told to me, well, because something you had to contribute to that indiv- to, to that individual piece of work, you didn't do your work right. That's why that piece of work is a fail. Now, when I tell them that it's actually not true, because my piece of work that I was getting them, I, I was contributing to, it's not really entirely my sort of um, responsibility alone. If somebody who collect that evidences together, collect that work together also has that accountability to make sure that the work that they receive is actually correct to what the remit of that piece of work is. So it's like if you don't if you don't click in that group and if you don't kind of fit in that group, you'll always be an outsider. And once you are an outsider, consider yourself always being blamed at. And this is why the, the accountability of that shared ownership is needed and it needs to be held by somebody, a strong leader, rather than a leader who also clicks in, because I've seen in experiences, leader always feels as if like they have to click in. You don't have to. You are a leader. You're there to see the organizations in terms of culture and leadership from a very different perspective, and this is why you are accountable officer, and this is why that you have to basically say your view, which is unbiased, unbiased and uninfluenced, Exactly right. And I think as well, I mean, it's needed, isn't it, to eliminate these sort of practices where, like I say, this this, this whole vision I'm getting of, you know, the group coming together and essentially picking on an outsider, trying to yeah. pin the blame on them. It's it's bullying, isn't it? It's harassment. And this is the practice that needs to be eliminated, isn't it, um, by, you know, this leadership change that we need to see. We do. And in the healthcare sector, actually, it's all about punishment. Um, the, the, there is no focus on mediation. If, if anything, very little. Yes, NHS organizations are working towards it, but right now, as it stands, right now that we're talking, at, in this moment of time, it's about punishment. It's about formal discipline, formal grievances. It's all about, it's all about getting the result. You will get the outcome, but you won't get the resolution through the, um, uh, through the formal route. There are policies there. And the policies that they, again, if you go back to that, you know, forming that group, they will use policy in a very different way versus when it's used against an outsider. And I've seen it in my, uh, in my experiences, even being a staff network chair in one of the NHS organizations. And I fought for it. 
because the policies are there as a framework, as a guidance. But there is always an element that when you start that policy, you can always go back, I believe, and I advocate that, that always try to bring robust resolution through informal routes, not that it will give you confidence in an organization alone, but it would also strengthen the working relationship of the implicated parties together. And it is a job of an organization, and in particular HR. And I know that we're talking about leadership alone, and I think from the HR mm. point of view, HR perspective, that department, I think we lack that leadership of an employee relations and ODs. And we definitely need to work towards that. I know that we started, when we started these conversations, we started with the board level and the CEO level and the mm. executive level. But I think the leadership is from the HR is very unique, very distinct, and that needs to be strengthened as well. Because what in my experience that I've seen HR quite weakened. Yes, exactly right. And one one thing the government has done, of course, um, in its uh, recent um, Health and Care Act that has been passed, is it sought to you know bring integrated care systems into mm. place to stop people from working in silos. And so if, say, we have an integrated healthcare service now, I suppose this is an opportunity for that leadership overhaul, which is going to essentially cover the entire industry because it's not just going to be, you know, one trust in itself implementing these changes. This is a chance now, isn't it, to implement change across the whole of healthcare. Uh, but it's an opportunity that has to be taken, isn't it? And that's easier said than done. I agree. Um, it's definitely a step forward in the right direction and positive direction, having the integrated care systems in place now. Integrated care system obviously kind of sets out a few of the aspects in nutshell. It's about reducing inequalities, making sure that the resources are well, um, you know, w- well distributed, the patient's care, service quality. It's also about bringing together organizations, I believe, through the learning that they basically learn through the challenges, learn through the actions, the implementing best practice implementation for the staff and for the experiences, uh, for, for the staff and for the patients as well. Um, there is there is definitely a need. So I think it's a very difficult for me to say how the integrated care, integrated care system in terms of leadership will benefit the organization mm-hmm. other than a shared leadership. And, uh, you know, there is the benefit is yet to be realized. And I think it's too early for us to say that the how the integrated care system will support that overhaul of leadership in a positive way or in a negative way and or may not actually make any change at all. Yeah, I suppose a concern with it is that there is that greater sway now for the Secretary of State for Health and Social Care to, you know, interfere with the day-to-day running of the health service and that sort of central political influence. Um, It can see political yeah. agendas, you know, sort of filtering in and more bureaucracy coming into how the industry is run as well. And it's about whether, you know, that mm. makes it easier to overhaul leadership within the industry or it creates more barriers, more bureaucracy, more problems. So at this point in time, it could go one way or it could go the other. And it's obviously about making sure that it paves the way for positive change rather than more of the same or, God forbid, even worse. Yeah, and, and I did express my concern isn't it? in one of the articles I wrote for the Leaders' Council saying that if the politics comes in NHS, um, it's not a very good use. Um, I think NHS is for people and by people, and it needs to be left to that mm. democratic version of that NHS. 
Um, like I said, I've got passion for NHS, and I think that the people in terms of the local health population should be able to dictate what the, their local organizations actually deliver and, uh, you know, and how well they deliver. And this is why the integrated care system are in place, to empower that. But then if the political influence come in, then that defeats, I think, in my view, of that local health populations to be dictating and to be influencing the local service delivery of the healthcare sector. So, yeah, like I said, and like you said as well, that the, the benefits are yet to be realized for the integrated care system. There's definitely a promises in there, but if the political influence from the state of secretary comes in, then it's very much will be about, it, 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 will, it will defeat the purpose of the local health population management and the integrated care system in my view. Yes, exactly. And uh, just before we finish up, Mashuda, I mean, we talked about essentially, you know, what needs to be done to improve the leadership situation within the health service. And now I suppose that the mood is that now is the time for action rather than just words. And if I take one example, I mean, way back in 2014, that was when the uh, the NHS workforce race equality standard was first announced uh, oh, to yeah. try and you know <laughs> improve training access for individuals um, of uh, BME origin, of course, and um, that made a lot of recommendations. But speaking now, um, of course, we're talking eight years later. There's still a long, long way to go with those disparities. So obviously we're in a position where not enough has been done on that side of things. So this is where, you know, we're talking about change, but it actually now has to happen because there's been a lot talked about, but not done for far too long, isn't there? So now it's got to be the turning think, point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think in my health, in the healthcare sector, it's very much a talk and uh, there is very little actions taken. And when the actions are taken, they are met by like barriers after barriers. And I'm not really too sure and I can't work out why there are so many barriers to achieving your goal where the organizations have actually said this is the goal that we're trying to achieve. You talked about the uh, BME um, aspect of it and, you know, how the, the disadvantaged group, um, you know, the, the organizations will support them through the career progression and the training development. I think in my view, it's about in NHS, the NHS has come to a point, it's about who you know not what you know. It's not about the skill set. It's not about experiences. I know so many of disadvantaged staff groups. They actually go out and they put their own money forward for their own learning, for their own development. They want to bring that to the organization. Yet the organizations do not make that, that, that you know, that you, the organizations do not facilitate for them to, to use their knowledge, to use their skill set. And they are kept where they are kept. In every way, we have a long way to go in terms of the developing of the NHS and to meeting the current demand that we have and constant conflicting demands rather we have in NHS. And I think it's a long way to go. And I agree to that. It's, it's like I said, it's not about who you know in NHS. It has become like, it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's become about, you know, your contact. It's not about what you know. It's not about your skill set. It's not about your experiences anymore. This is the thing. It's it's no longer a meritocracy, is it? And that's that's the whole problem. When when staff are going and investing in their own training, rather than of course the organisation presenting pathways for them to progress within, 
that shows yeah. that you know we're in a difficult state of affairs there because that simply isn't yeah. the uh, the way that it should be and you know when um we're seeing the impact of that system and we're seeing you know demoralized staff taking sick leave being obviously treated differently i mean because of the psychological impact that has ultimately we, those staff are yeah. taken away from the front line and that affects the patients mm. the service users it affects the staff and it costs the NHS mm. billions through sick leave. So it's like it it doesn't do anybody any good, does it? So this is why this is so important. No, it doesn't. And there are, in addition to that, we have shortages of staff. How many of the staff uh, were closed left because they were unsupported? They felt that they were unsupported through the pandemic. This was always the case, the case in the NHS sector before, but it's just that pandemic brought it to the surface. Anything that mm. was undercurrent. And, uh, and, and I think um, it's about time the NHS actually does something. And it's not just about, like, you know, a new healthcare policy coming out from the West Minister. It's not about, like, you know, a West Minister um, influencing the NHS England or the kind of, you know, political influence in how the healthcare sector, sector is delivered. It should be driven by the local populations, um, the local organizations and what they deliver. And uh, shortages of the staff, it needs to be there. But if you know how to treat your staff respectfully, and go back to them once they have raised that concern, close that information loop, close that communication loop. I think that is crucial of any leadership in this time. They go back to the person who have raised that concern, assure them that they are in an organization who respect their concerns, who respect their compliments, who respect their complaints, and work with them. Let the employee drive the organization. Let the leadership guide them. Let the employee lead the organization. And I think if when we reach to that platform where the employees are able to say what they want in terms of organizations and what organizations they would want to work for, this is where we, we will have a good retention rather than a shortage. Exactly right. And hopefully we do start to uh, to see that real positive change in the uh, the future. Of course, now is the time for action rather than words, as we've discussed already. Um, I have to say, uh, Mashuda, as well, thank you ever so much for coming on to the, uh, the programme to sort of talk about these issues and, you know, bring this to light in the, uh, you know, the interview format, of course, as you've alluded to during our conversation. You've put together quite a few piece, written pieces uh, for the Leaders' Council that we have aired on the website. Uh, for anyone interested in reading Mashuda's pieces, um, you can find those on www.leaderscouncil.co.uk to have a look into uh, some more of her uh, viewpoints on leadership within the healthcare industry and some of the topical matters and issues within the sector. Um, but now, um, like I say, having highlighted this, it something has to be done, doesn't it? That's the ultimate message behind all of this. Indeed, it is. And thank you for having me. My pleasure. It's been an immense pleasure welcoming you on uh, to the uh, the show today, uh, Mashuda. And by all means, do take care and do stay safe with all still going on. And uh, for those tuning into the show today, um, if you are, you know, the head of an organisation or department of your own, you run your own business and you feel you have your own story of success, of innovation or of topical matters and issues to share with us here at the Leaders' Council, then by all means, we also want to hear from you. So why not also apply to be on the programme via Leaders' leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply um for now you have been tuning into the leaders council podcast with myself your host scott challoner and our guest from the nhs mashuda kazi today um do take care all and goodbye <laughs>